If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customized training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On today's episode, strength testing for runners. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Thank you for joining me today again on another Run Smarter episode. Uh, Today, we are reviewing another chapter from the book that I have in front of me, The Science and Practice of Middle and Long Distance Running, and it's edited by Rich Blagrove, who we know well from the podcast, who's a good podcast friend, and Philip Hayes, who will be appearing as a guest in a couple of weeks' time. So, uh, if you didn't listen to the last chapter that I reviewed, um, where this is kind of like the theme, it was around the psychology of distance running. That was chapter five. This is chapter seven. Um, the title of this chapter is the movement screening and physical capacity assessments. And the contributors were Lewis or Louis Howe and Paul Reed. And so what they go on to talk about in this chapter is, first of all, movement screening to see what types of movements um, you, well, are you good at doing certain types of movements like a squat, a lunge, deadlift, those sort of actions, not how much you can lift because we're just talking about the movement screening um, to just see if there's any restrictions, if there's any tissue tightness, if there's any mobility kind of issues or whether it's a skill-based thing where they just have you just haven't learned how to do those sort of exercises before and it might just require a little bit of cueing and then you nail it. So that's the movement screening side of things. And then there's the physical capacity assessments. So now we're looking at how much you can lift, how many reps you can do, what your capacity is for those assessments. And so um, let me find the, the pages. I thought I'd just do a lot more reading through the book um, when I'm recording here because um, in my first chapter, when we, was doing, when we were doing this last week, I pretty much like put a lot of it down onto my Google Doc in front of me so I could read it from the page or read it from the screen. And I ended up just reading it from the book anyway. And so it was just a waste of time copying it, typing it all out from book to screen and then me not using the screen. So I've got a few dot points down on the screen in front of me, but mainly I'll just be reading from the book. So in the introduction here, they talk about uh, while 
performance related tests like a VO2 test, a VO2 max test, like if you have someone on a treadmill and you go through the certain protocol of increasing the incline and increasing the speed to see um, how long you can last. It's um, and then they're measuring your oxygen um, uptake with the, the oxygen mask. And so while that test can directly can be directly associated with running distance, they say that movement screening and physical capacity assessments, which we're talking about today, still provide valuable information, uh, which will also contribute to training decisions. So based on these movement screenings, based on physical capacity tests, um, how you go in those tests, they can be crucial to making certain decisions around how we plan your strength training, around how we plan your speed sessions, around where, where your limitations are, where your imbalances are, all those sort of things. And so they go on, although not considered sport specific in this context, they are sport relevant. So specifically movement screening provides coaches with an indication of an athlete's readiness to perform strength exercises. So if you get them to do a squat or get them to do a lunge and they have very poor form, we need to investigate further. Is it a skill-based thing or is it a mobility-based thing? Because we're definitely not going to get them to strength train squats and lunges if they're unable to complete the movement in the first place. And so, yes, the readiness, it, it evaluates their readiness to perform strength exercises while the physical capacity assessments support the coaches in identifying any functional deficits. So that might be either positively or negatively um, influencing, say, running performance or like imbalances in, say, calf strength. You might have more power on one side than the other. So they can be very, very crucial um, for a coach or for a runner in general just to know these things to make smarter training decisions moving forward and even just work on those imbalances. Further in the chapter, they talk about the purpose of screening assessments and talk about the accuracy of testing, which is actually pretty um, relevant or important for us to know because when we do something like a calf raise and we um, test out the capacity, like how many calf raises you can actually do, we want to make sure that there's a lot of accuracy in the testing and we want to make sure that it's very reproducible and um, yeah, we always care about the accuracy of these, these sort of things, but I won't delve into detail when it comes to like this episode, but just letting you know that that's in the chapter. When it, So they will touch base on movement screening first. And so um, they have an example here. So they say, for example, an athlete who displays an end of range motion uh, spinal flexion during a body weight squat prior to reaching 90 degrees of knee flexion presents with a movement fault relative to the performance criteria associated with the the screening tool that they use. So if you have an athlete who does a squat and before their knees get beyond 90 degrees, they start flexing at the hips. Uh, they start flexing at the lower back rather than bending at the hips and knees. So there might be a movement fault there or like some sort of rigidity um, or just inability to do so. So if the athlete were to perform, uh, if the athlete were to persevere with loading in this pattern in attempt to develop leg strength, Injury risk, there may be an increased risk of injury as the spine's tolerance to compressive loading is diminished and shear forces are elevated. So if you have a poor faulty squat, we don't want to put a whole bunch of weight on you because then that will 
overload the back or just create shearing forces that's not ideal. Instead, the athlete would be better served in addressing the technical issues by removing any functional limitations that exist. So that might be a restricted ankle or restricted hip mobility and devoting time to develop a hip-back dissociation sequencing, so essentially improving your squat technique to demonstrate um, a better technique and then move into heavier weights or like beyond body weight movement patterns after that. And so that's a good example of why movement screening is so important. So they've got a quite they've got quite a nice table here of different exercises, along with um, how to instruct the runner to do a, a good um, a good. Well, let me just give you an example. So uh, let me find a lunge or something in here. A single leg squat that might be something. So instructions. So keeping the feet the feet flat on the floor. Squat down with one leg as low as you can with the arms remain parallel to the ground. Be sure to keep a non, the non-stance leg slightly flexed throughout, so just floating in the air. Hold the bottom position for one second and then return to the start. Repeat this five times. So that's just the instructions and like the setup for a single leg squat. And then there's a bit of a performance criteria. So um, looking, from the, looking from the front view, there should be no change in the foot position or alignment. Knees remain over the toes throughout. The pelvis and shoulders remain level throughout. From the side view, we want to see the knees flex beyond 90 degrees. We want to see the trunk um, bend forward by a bit more than 10 degrees. And yeah, just going through this kind of criteria to see if their movements are adequate enough or sufficient enough. You aren't a template, so your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near perfect 4.9 star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access. Sign up through their website, mymotive.com, and make 2024 your best year yet. And so, yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of tales with these examples. So we have the um, a bilateral drop landing, so you're dropping from a box, You've got a single leg drop landing, so doing the same thing with single leg. You've got a squat, single leg squat, a forward lunge, a Romanian deadlift, flick the page over, and a bilateral shoulder elevation, so looking at uh, trunk, upper body screening tools as well. So they are movement tools or movement screening tools that we can use to see, okay, is there any mobility deficits for a runner? And while some of these actions might not resemble a running action it's at least identifying potentially some movement faults or some mobility issues Um, that's all i want to talk about with the movement screening because it's good to point out it's good to point out the um the importance of it but we don't necessarily want to have a whole episode going through the table of okay this is a squat lunge these are all the screening tools that you need to look out for. This is the criteria, but just keep in mind that having 
a good um, movement pattern is required for, for running performance. And then they go on in the chapter to discuss if there are movement faults. So if your squat is, uh, is impaired and you're just not meeting the criteria, then we need to um, increase or we need to delve deeper with further investigation into why you're not squatting the way you should or you're not lunging the way you should. And so that requires a health professional or a coach to have an in-depth analysis, maybe look at your ankle range of movement, maybe look at your hip mobility, maybe look at hip rotation range of movement, maybe look at lower back range of movement because you could have the same movement faults um, from one athlete to another, but why they're doing that faults can be completely different. It's not just seeing someone squat and their heels come off the ground and say, oh, that's poor ankle mobility. Uh, it's not the case. And so further investigation is required. And so once you have that further investigation and you find the cause of the movement faults, then you can start working on interventions, certain mobility interventions in order to um, successfully successfully work on that movement. And then once you're ticking the boxes for all those movement patterns, then we are uh, moving forward, almost similar to um, Matt Pendola when he's talking about his um, strength assessments and working his way up the, the core, um, working his way up those functional exercises. And if you can't pro if you can't nail a real foundation exercise, then you can't progress up to the heavier sort of stuff. And so it's a very, very similar process. We want to make sure that all your body weight movements are nailed before we start applying some weight. Okay, now we're getting into the strength uh, assessment. So movement screening's done. We're now into the different types of strength. And when we're talking about this, uh, it writes, muscular strength plays an important role in the development of the distance runner, significantly contributing to improvements in performance-related measures. And probably goes without saying, we already know this, um, the importance of strength training and how beneficial it can be. Um, and then they break it down into a few different types of strength and how we might assess those. So the first is maximal strength, which is defined as the uh, maximum force an individual can produce. And we um, usually requires a fair bit of equipment like um, force plates or like really heavy weights and requires the run to be quite strong. Um, or it requires an isometric um Contraction. So they, uh, a therapist or a coach might have what we call a dynamometer. So you push into this device as strong as you can and hold that it's um, contracting isometrically. So if you were sitting on the edge of a bed and you had um, your legs dangling, we apply this to like the, the shin bone or like f far down the shin and say, okay, try and extend your knee as strongly as you can and you push into this device and see how much force you can produce. So that's the kind of maximal strength. Um, a simple alternative, if you don't have this equipment, is just to use weight and lift um, with a certain amount of repetitions or a number of, um, yeah, one set, a certain amount of repetitions. So instead of doing that knee extension, we know that you have to, re you require a lot of um that knee extension moment, we require the same muscles to do a squat. And so if you were to, 
if you're well trained enough to do your one rep max, so you pile a whole bunch of weight on and you do one squat and uh, it's so heavy that you couldn't possibly do a second, that's your true one RM. But there are a few formulas that you can use where you can pile enough weights on to say get a five rep max or an eight rep max. And then based on that measurement, you can reverse engineer or calculate what your one RM might be or close to what your one RM might be making those calculations. So you can do that. However, um, they don't recommend anywhere above 10 reps. So if you're doing 10 reps and then try and calculate your one rep max, um, it's just not close enough. The, um, the equation wouldn't be accurate enough. Um, that requires a fair bit of practice. It requires someone who's been squatting for quite a long time, is familiar with the technique and can handle like a lot of weight. Um, so yeah, they use this example. For example, say a leg press may be an ideal option for a distance runner who produces, uh, who reduces the demand on the spinal extensors because if we are doing a squat, it's a lot of load on the back. It's a lot of load on the ankles. It's a lot of load everywhere. But if you were to do, if you were in the gym and you had a leg press machine, you could then do that leg press, test those same muscles. The back is nice and supported because you're almost in this like seated position. Um, and so it can be a really nice option for you to do. Furthermore, unilateral testing of each side produces an opportunity to measure limb symmetry. Symmetry, <laughs> not symmetry. Um, so if you were to do this, this leg press, a single leg press on the right and see how much, try and calculate your one RM that way and, <clears throat> and then do the left, calculate your one, your one RM that way, it could be nice to work out the balance between the two. So these are your options to dealing with maximal strength. You can either have those hand dynamometer um, devices, you can try that strength testing with squats, deadlifts, seeing how heavy you can lift, or you've got the option of doing some uh, weights or doing machines at the gym and doing that leg press or like a prone hamstring curl, those sort of exercises. The next component, so that was maximal strength. The next one they talk about is explosive strength. They say explosive strength has been shown to improve distance performance, a uh, distance running performance and maximal sprint speed. And they go through a few options, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and the last strength is reactive strength. So we might know this as plyometrics. Um, it's defined as the ability to effectively transition rapidly from eccentric to concentric muscle contraction using this stretch shortening cycle. So what we know of as a plyometric movement, if you were to drop from say a box and you were to land and in that landing, it's your job to jump up in the air as quickly as you can. We look at, okay, how quickly can you do that? And how high can you jump after that <clears throat> reactive kind of strength after that reactive type of movement? And so they're the, the basic, um, the basic movements or the basic, uh, force qualities that they, they delve into. And then there's a table which has a whole bunch of different examples and the type of muscle strength that's required. So the single leg leg press is looking at your maximal strength, a counter movement jump. So if an athlete was just standing with their hands on their hips and then they very quickly drop into a jump um, type of 
like they're about to jump. So they quickly drop into a depth and then launch themselves into the air as quickly as they can. That's looking at explosive strength. So you could measure that on like a wall. Like when I was doing physio in clinics, I'd have someone um, reach their hand up with their feet on the ground and see how high they can uh, mark the wall to see how high that reaches. And then I'll get them to do this explosive movement where they jump up on the wall and they touch as high up on the wall as they can, mark that and then measure the difference. So that's explosive strength. Um, and reactive strength is, like I said, that drop jump where the athlete's like dropping from a height, sometimes around about 30 centimeters. They land and then they have to quickly produce that force as well. Um, any others? A calf raise is looking at your tissue capacity, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, a single leg hamstring bridge is looking at, again, tissue capacity. The side bridge, tissue capacity. Um <clears throat> Prone holds are all tissue capacity. I guess I should probably talk about tissue capacity with all these examples. <laughs> um, and then they talk about like normative values as well or normative data and how you would compare to the rest of the population, what marks as good, what marks as bad um, or poor, I should say. Um, so one thing for runners to know, if you are in the gym and you are doing leg presses and things like that, um, they've got in relative in um, relation to your body mass in regards to the kilograms over body mass. Um, your one RM on average should be one to one point four of your body mass, and so if you are over one point four, then that's um, excellent, and if you're under one then it's in the poor range. And so it's good for you to test out to see how strong you actually are. So for me, I'm 71 kilos. If I if I could single leg press 71 kilos, then that's one um that's one in regards to the relation of your 1RM. 1.4, I'll have to do some calculations with my pen and stuff. So if I'm 70, I'd say around about 100 100 kilograms. If I could single leg press 100 kilograms, that would be maybe 1.3. Um, if I was to do a bit more than that, 1.4. So I'm looking at about maybe 110 kilos. If I could single leg press over 110 kilos um, on that machine, then I am I'm doing pretty well for myself. You're in that excellent kind of um, that excellent range. Um, what else did they have here? They had a hop for distance um, compared to the height of the athlete. So if I was to stand on one leg um, just upright and then I had to try and launch myself horizontal and see how far I could actually do that, if you're doing that, um, if that distance is greater than your body height, then you're doing pretty well. So if I'm 178 centimeters and if I launch myself beyond that 178 centimeters, then I'm doing pretty well with explosive strength. So that being the first one would be 1RM would be that um, absolute strength or relative strength. This hopping one would be more of a um, yeah explosive type of strength. Capacity-wise, um, calf raises, calf raise repetitions. If you're doing less than 15 calf raises or if you can do less than 15 calf raises, that is poor. If you're somewhere between 15 and 30, that is average. And if you're over 30 in your standing calf raises, then you're excellent. Um, what else do we have here? A single leg bridge is the same repetitions as the calf raise. So if you're doing over 30, then you're doing excellent. 
And then we have side bridges or like a side plank. If you're doing between 60 and um, if you're doing between one minute and two minutes, that's average. If you're doing over two minutes, that's excellent. Um, so just a couple of normative data just so you can compare yourself um, when it comes to strength, explosive strength and capacity. Um, moving on in the chapter, they do have a, um, a paragraph on tissue capacity, which we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> um, and so it refers to uh, tissue capacity refers to the ability for the tendons and the muscles to produce force and also tolerate load. And it's usually done um, what we call this time under tension. So it's usually for a long, prolonged period of time is the, the goal of the task. And so as a result, um, the commonly used assessment requires the individual to perform the task for a maximum number of repetitions. So for example, uh, that calf raise example, we're telling people to do a calf raise uh, as many times as they can until they're unable to do any more. So that's maximum number of repetitions or holding for a certain period of time for as long as possible. So a side plank or a plank would be another example of those. Um, so they further in the chapter, they say, furthermore, high levels of hip abduction strength have been shown to increase a novice's running resiliency to injury. Um, so it does hold its place. We do know that some strength, um, some strength qualities do help a runner when it comes to imp imp not only performance but reducing risk of injury. Says some of the studies that they've quoted in here. So, um, bit of a recap: we have movement screening protocols or movement screening tests that we can do to make sure that your quality of movement is adequate before we start increasing your uh, strength training we start uh, or knowing that you're capable of doing certain strength training movements. And if there is a fault there, then a, a, an assessment is required to identify the actual cause of that impairment. So that's usually required some isolated mobility tests around like the ankle, the hips, the knees, those sort of things. And then we're looking at capacity tests. So the three types of strength being maximal strength, explosive strength, and that reactive strength. And the other component of physical capacity being tissue capacity. So um, more prolonged or maximum repetition style based um, exercises. And so in summary, they say that movement screening and physical capacity assessments are, fundamental, are a fundamental component of the coach's toolkit. So they talk about running coaches in here and should be considered as a non-negotiable for the use uh, for its use in distance runners. Data collected from these tests provide insight into the athlete's physical profile and should be used to directly influence the training process. Examples include measurements of the athlete's maximal, explosive and reactive strength using a variety of strength and jump assessments. Tissue capacity tests also provide useful information regarding the muscle and muscle group's ability to produce and tolerate force and may be helpful to identify areas that are vulnerable to injury. So there might be, say, a side plank where you do really, really well, um, but a calf raise where you're very poor. And so you, it might redirect your attention to somewhere where you, meet, where you might need a lot of focus. Um, so that's the chapter. And I think it's really important to know. I find the, 
the tables that have examples of all these assessments really helpful, but also that norm that normative data, knowing, okay, are you in a good range? Are you in excellent range? Or is it something you need a fair bit of work on? Um, so hopefully you found that uh, quite intriguing. The next chapter, well, next interview, we're going to have Emma Brockwell, who's going to talk about the running considerations when it comes to pregnancy and menopause. So more of the women's health side of things, which I found extremely fascinating. I was actually, I got off the interview um, and I told my girlfriend, I didn't know how how um, much I would enjoy the conversation of pregnancy and menopause, but it was a really insightful um, interview. So I loved having, having Emma on. I was thankful that she came onto the show. And after that, so the next episode after that, we're doing our final chapter review where we're talking about training intensity distribution, which is um, chapter eight in the book. Excited to bring you that one. Uh, and then we're going to talk to the um, the co-author. So looking forward to that. Hope you learned a lot today. Um, we'll sign off here. So remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.